All right, please open your Bibles up this morning with me uh, to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 26. Isaiah, chapter number 26. I want to uh, preach this morning on finding peace in a world of trouble. Finding peace in a world of trouble. I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. There we will look upon the very source of true peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says in verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. When we talk about peace, for some that just simply means the absence of conflict. But the peace that God can give you goes far, far, far deeper than that. And the Bible even explains the peace of God as being something that passes understanding. And so I want to speak to you this morning. First of all, I want to, I want to say to those of you who may be watching our visitors here this morning that in order to experience the peace he's referring to, that, uh, that perfect peace, first of all, you have to have a relationship with God. You have to have peace with God. And the only way that you can have peace with God, you know, you've heard people say sometimes that uh, he made peace with his maker. You ever heard that term before? Or he made peace with his creator? Or he made peace with God before he passed on? What do they mean by that? Well, the only way that you can have peace with God is by you being reconciled to God by the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He being the propitiation or the payment for your sins. That if you'd be willing to bow your knee, confess Him as your Lord and Savior, and call upon His name, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Delivered from the wrath of God. Delivered from the wages of sin. So I hope this morning that you've made peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, then now you have access to something that the Bible refers to as the peace of God. And that peace of God is to rule in your heart. It is not something that is supposed to be just every once in a while in your life. It is to rule in your heart. And so if your heart is troubled this morning, we're going to try to help you to find that peace that belongs to you as a child of God. Now, I mentioned to you last week that there are three particular areas that I want to preach on uh, these next few weeks. Last week I spoke about peace in your heart. Peace in your heart. This morning I want to preach on peace in your home. Peace in your home. And this is not directed only to husbands and wives. Well, there is a whole lot more to a home than just a mother and father a husband and wife, everything that's connected to that. 
Now, whether it be in-laws or whether it be sons and daughters or whether it be moms and dads, there's a lot of things connected here. Whether you might be single this morning as far as that goes and yet you're connected to a family in a home somewhere. There are two kinds of people when it comes to home. Either you're a troublemaker or you're a peacemaker. You're one of those two that it connected to your household. You're a peacemaker or you're a troublemaker. And so I hope and pray that when people see you drive up in the yard or maybe you show up or maybe they walk in the house that they'll say, man, I sure am glad to see them. You know, you know this, this world, this world is, uh, what can you say? It is a world full of chaos. It's a world full of contention, corruption, confusion. And I was thinking last night, you know, I was getting a little agitated having to wait on this flight. And then I saw on the news the thousands and thousands and thousands of people trying to get on a train in Ukraine to get out away from the war zone. And I said, Lord, I'm just a little inconvenienced. That's all I am today. And I'll tell you what, the world out there is just full of chaos and confusion. And if there's any place, there are two places on planet Earth that I would like to be able to drive up in the driveway and walk in and find peace. One of those would be at the house of God. And the other one would be my home. My home, my house, my castle, and all that goes with that. When we go home today, after services, uh, excuse me, we'll drive up. That's, that's That's jet lag. I'll drive up and, 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 and then after a little while, there'll be some other cars drive up in the, in the driveway and my children will be getting out of their automobiles with their, their children and, and, and they'll be coming into our home. You know what? I want that to be a peaceful time. I want that to be a happy time for us. Don't you? Don't you want that for your home? Uh, don't you want to, that, uh, Man, I don't, I don't want my wife to ever, ever just have to tense up when I drive up in the driveway in the truck. And she doesn't want me to have to dread when she's coming home from shopping or from the, the grocery store. You understand? And so I'm saying that according to the book of Psalms, the man that fears the Lord, twice it says in Psalm 127 and in Psalm 128, it says the word happy is used. Happy. Did you know that some lost people, because of the structure of their home, they don't even know God, but because of the way they operate in their home, they're happier than a lot of people who profess to know Christ because they've got some things out of order in their home? So I want you to think about something. I want you to turn quickly with me. Let's do a Bible study this morning. Turn with me to Psalm, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Do you, did you know that life is not a Hallmark movie? Did you know that marriage is not a Hallmark novel? Hmm? I, know that, uh, I know that there's a lot of folks that read a lot of these kind of books. You know, love came softly. You know, love came and left swiftly. You know, I think, it, I think they ought to write one that says love came fishing. I think that's what they ought to do. Or love went fishing. 
First, because you, you know, if you really want to test the relationship between somebody that you're considered to be a mate for a lifetime, just take them to the boat ramp and get, get them to help you to unload the boat or load the boat or back the boat up. And let's see how things go right there. You'll kind of get a test of reality of how things really are. I've heard some of you say that sometimes you're on vacation and you want some entertainment, you just go down to the boat ramp right, right about dark and watch husbands and wives trying to load up their truck and their boat, things like that together. It's a, it, it can be humorous. But it's, it's, it's rated above PG, though. You're going to have to be careful. First Corinthians 7. Look at this right here. Let's, first of all, I'm going to make this very simple for you about this peace in the, ho- in the home. I'm going to say, first of all, that in our homes there is common trouble. I'm going to call it common trouble. That is realistic expectations of a couple of kinds of trouble that are going to come to every home. And that's why you have to have realistic expectations. Because some of the things that are going on in your home and in your marriage and your house, it's just normal in everybody's family. It's just how do you deal with it that makes the difference. All right? 1 Corinthians 7, you'll notice it says here, this, this whole chapter is about marriage and about the home and the family. Notice in verse number 27, he says, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. That just means, simply means, hey, if you're married, do your very best to stay married. Okay? Try to work out your problems. Try to find some solutions. Don't be bailing out because you'll think that the next guy will be better or the next girl will be better, but most of the time that doesn't work out. Not, not in every situation, but he says, Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. All right, here's why he said that. He said in verse 28, But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Thank God for that. He says, And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have, what's that next word? Trouble. Trouble. Where? In the flesh. flesh. All right. And then you'll notice over here in chapter number 7, he makes another comment about this, and this is just being realistic now. He says here, look in verse number 32. He said, but I would have you without carefulness, and that means your heart's full of anxiety or trouble or you're distracted. It says, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That means he can serve the Lord without distraction. His mind, his emotions, his finances, they're not divided. Verse 33, but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. Now, some of you take offense to that because you're saying, I'm not a worldly man. But what he means by that is, he says in verse 33, how he may please his wife. Okay, so there's going to be some common trouble. Notice in verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, meaning that she can serve the Lord without distraction. 
that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. All right, so let me, let me give you something on this now that I hope it will stick with you. When you make the decision and you make the commitment, and marriage is a commitment, it is a covenant, it is a vow before the Lord. If you make that commitment and you make that vow to marriage, it, you are making an agreement to personal limitations. You cannot live like you are not married. You cannot go as if you're not married. You cannot come and go and spend and do as if you do not have someone at home. You can't do that. And if you do that, then we're, you're, lead, you're leading into some things that we're going to deal with in just a moment. You're, you're creating some trouble in your own home. And so there's some limitations. You, you won't be able to, uh, you know, go out on Friday and Saturday night with the boys. You won't be able to spend all night on Friday night coon hunting like you used to. You know, it, she may be wanting to see you on Friday night. And ladies, you won't be able to always spend time and go places and do things sometimes, but now because now you have responsibilities at the house, you can't be a roadrunner and be a good wife. You can't do that. So, I want you to look with me now quickly in Matthew chapter 10. This is very important. Matthew chapter number 10. Look at what, it, you may think that I am preaching something contrary to what Jesus said, but I'll explain what he said. I'm just saying that when you get married, you need to have some realistic expectations of each other. You've got two people who have lived two separate lives, different ideas and philosophies about things, and you try to, you try to iron some of that out before you say, I do. But sometimes you really, 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 really don't know a person until you actually live with them. You agree with that? And some of you young ladies, you think that when you marry that young man that his socks are not going to stink. But they're going to. And fellas, some of you think that your wife's going to look really fine every time she wakes up every morning. But she's not. She's going to have eye boogers just like everybody else. Her hair is going to be going that direction and that direction. You think she's going to get up an hour early and, and shower and fix her hair and put her makeup on just so she can say hello to you in the morning? That's an unrealistic expectation. So I'm just saying here that you've got to have some realistic expectations, okay? There's going to be some conflicts. There's going to be some inconveniences. There's going to be some times, seriously, that you're just going to wake up. You know, we, we, we say this term, but you understand what I mean. We wake up sometimes on the wrong side of the bed. You know what I mean by that. There are just some times that you just wake up and you just ain't got it all together. And, and there's whatever's going on in your mind and in your body, you're just in a bad mood. See, everybody doesn't wake up in a great mood every day. You say, well, I don't know, Brother Roger. I think I do. Well, you know, you've deceived yourself about some other things as well. I'm just saying that we all sometimes, uh, have you ever sometimes just uh, miscommunicated? 
or misunderstood. Now I have determined that men operate on AM, women operate on FM. And what is said is not always translated correctly. And you know what, fellas? You're going to have to learn how to truly interpret what's being said sometimes. And how it's being said matters. Amen? Honey, you care if I go fishing today with Brother Lauren? Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's all right. Well, she said yes. But somehow or another, it just don't feel the same. Like if some, she might say, honey, listen, you know what? You've been under a lot of pressure lately. Why don't you just go in and join the fellowship with Brother Lawrence? That's a little bit different. Isn't it? But both were yeses. You know, we joke about it, fellas. We say, yeah, I can go fishing today. I got a kitchen pass. We know what that means. You want to be able to fish guilt-free and mind-free. I'm, I'm saying fishing. I mean, it could be anything. You know what I mean by that. I'm saying that we need to understand that when you get married, there's going to be some difficult places and times. And there are going to be some distractions. And and getting everything together to get to church on Sunday morning, sometimes there is some flesh is always going to show up. Somewhere, somehow, it'll show up. But so there's going to be some common trouble. But look in Matthew 10, look at this. But there's also sometimes you need to expect some from your flesh. But you also need to sometimes expect some for your faith. Look what he says in Matthew 10. That's why it's so critical, young ladies. Sometimes it's not who you marry, but it's what kind of person you marry. Because you see, your looks are going to change. Looks will change. The heart and spirit of an individual is what is going to make that marriage work. All right, look in Matthew 10. Look in verse number 34. Jesus said this. He said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. And here I am preaching on peace in your home. And Jesus just said, I, I come not to send peace on earth. He said, I came to send, not to send peace, but a sword. I'm not conflicting here with what Jesus has to say. I'm not contradicting our Savior here. He is letting you know that there is a certain kind of trouble that will come sometimes to a home simply because you have come to Christ and your faith now is in God and there's going to be some trouble because of it. And he says here in verse 35, For I came, I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So sometimes because you are following the Bible, sometimes because you are trying to be led by the Spirit, Sometimes because you are trying to walk with God, there will be some conflict that goes on in the family because of your faith. Do you understand this? Now, we don't experience this as much here in America as maybe if you were in Iran or Iraq or in Fiji and places like that, where that if you gave yourself to Christ, 
your whole family would cut you off and consider you to be dead to them and you would be disinherited. That is primarily what that verse means. It doesn't mean that you can't have peace at the house between two believers. That is not what Jesus is referring to. But it is when you, when you embrace the Christian faith and your whole family is a, maybe is of a different persuasion, then there's going to be some serious issues at the house. And they might disown you. And, and, and that's why he said, hey, do you, are, do you love me more than you love them? That's a hard decision. And many of us have never had to make that decision. And we don't have that kind of trouble. But there will be common trouble. Expect it from your flesh. Expect it. Sometimes because of your faith. When you've got 1 Peter 3, 1, when you've got a woman that loves the Lord and you've got a man that will not obey the word, there's going to be some trouble at that house. And God gives that woman some wisdom of how to deal with some of that trouble. And it's not by chewing on that guy and correcting him all the time and treating him like he's a boy, but rather it's through humility and meekness and subjection and, and, and affecting that man's spirit. So, first of all, I want to say there's common trouble. Now, quickly, turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 11. This is where I really want to spend some time. Proverbs 11 and verse number 29. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, peace. I want to talk to you about peace in the home. First of all, common trouble comes. We all have it. Okay? We all, we all, but how we deal with it, well, that's up to us. If we go to the Lord, we run to Him and we ask Him for help. And I'll talk about that in just a moment about the cure for trouble. But let's deal with created or caused trouble at the house. Look at this. Proverbs 11, verse number 29. Proverbs 11, verse number 29. It says, he that, what's the next word? Troubleth. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. All right. Now, I want you to turn quickly to 1 Samuel 25. We're going to use an illustration here. 1 Samuel 25. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Now, he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. Is it possible for an individual to create trouble and problems in his own home? Did you know that uh, one of the key areas that causes a lot of trouble in a person's house, according to the book of Proverbs, is the Bible says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. You know what is at the core of a greedy person? It is selfishness and self-centeredness. And that it's always about you. Now that can be true of a man. That can be true of a woman. That can be true of a son in that home. That can be true of a daughter in that home. Now notice he says here, I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Because you can trouble your own house and you will inherit the wind. We got a, we got a guy right here in 1 Samuel 25 that fits this perfectly. And his name is Nabal, which means foolish. This man is married to a good woman, a woman of understanding, and a beautiful woman. How they two got together, I know not. 
I know when I was in high school sometimes you'd see the beauty and the beast walking down the hall together. And I never could figure that out. But maybe this was one of those arranged marriages like it was back in the day. Many times a woman had no say of who she married or did not marry. I don't know that and the Bible doesn't tell us. We just know sometimes uh, that, that people get married and sometimes it's just not a good fit. And sometimes the woman is not getting what she thought she was getting and vice versa. That is just the way life is. But I'll tell you what, Abigail was committed to it as bad as it was. Now notice in 1 Samuel 25, we're talking about old Nabal, okay? Let's talk about him for just a moment. The Bible says in verse number 2, there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. That just means that he was successful at business and he owned quite a bit of property, and uh, he had quite a few sheep, thousands of them, had people under him, and things like that. And the Bible says here that uh, in verse number 3, this is the time of, of where David was, was uh, also having to run from Saul. And so he's got a group of soldiers with him, men with him, that are hiding in the woods, and they're living on what they can. I mean, you know, camping out's okay for a few days, but camping out for a few years, that gets a little old. Uh, when uh, you can't just go down and get a few canned goods, you've got to start looking for food every time you get up in the morning. And this way these guys are. And they're a little, they're a little crusty. They're a little, they're a little hungry. And so yet they do not bother his men, talking about Nabal's men, nor his sheep. They're honorable men. David is like that. But look in verse 3. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings and he was a house of Caleb. Now he come from a good family. Now that's hard to comprehend that you can come from a good family and just be a jerk. Is that possible? Does that happen? Yeah, really. Now that word churlish, that means he was a rude man. He was crude. He was a rude, crude dude. That's what he was. And the Bible says here that in this time of, of shearing the sheep was a time of extra, a time of bounty, a time of a lot of extra stuff. And David understood this. And so he sends some of his men down to Nabal's house and said, Hey, listen, we didn't bother any of your stuff. We actually protected some of your men while they were raising these sheep. And listen, I know this is the day of plenty. Is it possible that maybe you could just share a little bit with us while you have plenty. All right? And notice down here in verse number uh, 10. The Bible says, And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? And by the way, he knows the answers to those questions. He's just acting like he doesn't know. And there be many servants nowadays. And by the way, when you're selfish, you always find an excuse to serve yourself. You always find an excuse and you always point it toward other people. But look at verse 11. He said, look at his attitude. Shall I then take, what's the next word? My bread, my water, my flesh. I have killed for my shears and given unto men whom I know not whence they be. Well, he sent that word back to David and David's got pretty, he got pretty upset about it. I'm not saying David did right. I'm just saying that this fool put his family in great jeopardy. And David said, all right, that's the way he's going to be. I asked him kindly. He wouldn't share. He said, my men are hungry. 
So I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to kill every one of them and I'm going to take everything they got. Now that's not the right response for David and God fixes that. But I don't want to focus on him. I want to focus on Nabal. And the Bible says here in verse number 14, look at this guy. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. Did you know Malachi chapter 2? Malachi chapter 2 is a very important chapter for a husband and wife to read together. Did you know the Bible says that God absolutely despises a treacherous spirit in a man's home? The spirit of a home many times is set by that man, how he speaks to his family, how he talks to them. I have seen young ladies with great excitement stand right here and say, I do, look in a man's eyes, and their eyes would be full of life and full of expectation and joy. And two years later, see them, their head hanging down, no life in their eyes, and very little hope. And most of the time, it's because of a Nabal, and it's all about me. It's all about me. It's mine. It's not ours. It's me and mine. It's about you satisfying me. It's all about me. And what you are doing is, you know, you're troubling your own house, and over a period of time, people get sick of that. So people will endure for a little while, even to raise kids, but after a while, say, hey, I've had enough of this. I'm not living the rest of my life like this. See, that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over weeks and months and years. And people make up their minds and say, I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what anybody says. I'm out of this. I'm not living my life the rest of this way. He's not going to do it because they're sick of it. And most of it has to do with the spirit of that home. And the way that man treats his wife, the treacherousness. And the Bible says the Lord just doesn't really hear him when he talks, when he talks to him. God doesn't answer his prayer. Why? Well, it's because he's not listening to God. Because the Bible says when a man forsakes the law of the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. And he may be weeping and crying saying, God, please help me. But God said, I'm not listening to you because you don't listen to me. Why would God listen to you if you don't listen to him? Amen. So he's creating trouble here for himself because of his selfishness. Now look at this. Look at verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. And listen, this guy's got his whole family in trouble, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. You want to trouble your house? Fix it where people can't sit down and talk to you. Your wife can't talk to you about things that matter. Your son can't approach you and sit down. You haven't had a meaningful conversation, a serious conversation of any sort with your son or your daughter because they can't approach you. And the reason why they can't approach you is because if it's affected you in some way financially or something that belongs to you, you blow a gasket. You get angry. You get upset. And when you start doing that, people will not approach you. They will go around you to accomplish some things. We had a man one time that used to come to church here, and I'm glad I used the word used to. And his wife went to Home Depot and spent about $17 
and bought some stuff and went home and made, because the house was so small and they had so many kids that she, she just made some shelves for the, because they were homeschooling and making a little shelf, $17 shelf for the kids to put some of the books on. He come home, he saw what she had done, and because she did not ask for permission to spend the $17, even though it was a need, he took a hammer and he took something else and just busted it all to pieces. Now, I'm just being honest with you. The guy really just needs a good beating. He just does. You say, well, I, I, I can't do it because I can't be a striker. Okay? But would you do it? I won't watch. I, but just tell me about it. They're not married today. You say, oh, there ain't no way they'd get a divorce. Man, they're believers. They got seven or eight kids. There ain't no way. They're not married. Because you can only do that so often. Now, I'm going to be very personal here so I can help you. And I know that my wife won't mind me doing this, being personal here about this. Her mother and father were married for 40 years when her dad walked away. He did not walk away for a woman. Her mother has told me a thousand times, I'm so sorry for what I did. Now listen, she wasn't the only cause there. You understand? I'm just telling you his excuse and reason. He says, look, because she was always chewing on him. And she was always chewing on him because he was always acting like a kid. You know, not being responsible for some things. And I'm saying that, but she was always getting after him rather than, and, 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 and listen, a man can only take so much of this. I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care how sexy you are. A man can only take so much of being chewed on like he's a kid and like a boy. He can't take it. God didn't make us that way. We're too egotistical. We don't even want to walk in the, in the, uh, into an office like maybe to get your driver's license and have a woman telling us what to do. That's just the way we are. But he certainly don't want to come home and get chewed on and talk to, and just correct it all the time. And so he says, you know what? He said, after 40 years, he said, uh, Cindy's married, gone. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not living this way the rest of my life. They've been, before she passed away, they, they're, they're best of friends because they're not living with each other. Right. Now, she's going to be with the Lord, but they were separated for over 20 years. That affected Cindy. That affected me. It affected Cindy emotionally. It affected our family emotionally. It affected me financially. It troubled our house. See, it's not just about you. When people get married, you know, you start seeing people, you start seeing them as couples. When I think about Brother Lewis, I think about Sister Rhonda. When I think about Brother Dwayne, I think about Sister Michelle. When I think about Brother Lauren, I think about his dear wife, Bianca. And and when I think about Scott, I think about Dixie. I think about Brother Travis. I think about Stephanie. And, And that's the way the Lord wants it to be until death do us part. And he didn't mean by that that you kill each other or one kills the other. Do you understand that, don't you? So I'm, getting married is a big deal. And so I'm just saying that that happened in our family. And I'm saying that, that you can trouble your own house and pull it down around you. The spirit of that home, the way you talk to each other, a selfish man 
will destroy his home. Pornography. That's a dangerous, self-centered, selfish thing. Whether you be a man or a woman involved in that, it's going to trouble your house and possibly you'll inherit the wind. Do you understand? This stuff is serious. I don't want trouble at the house. I got enough trouble with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't need that at my house. And so the Bible says here that she had to get around, she had to go around him to save him. And she interceded for him. To save his hide, she had to go and make a deal with David and took him some groceries and she appeased the wrath of David. And you know what God did for her? When she had to tell her husband, "Hun, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, this fixed to wipe us out and kill everybody around here. But so I had to take him some groceries and the, and the Bible says that that rascal, because he was just all about him and his stuff, he had a stroke. And eventually died 10 days later. And you know what? Nobody cried. And when you trouble your own house, people will have to go to your funeral just out of obligation. But there won't be very many tears shed. It will be a moment of relief, not a moment of grief. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be selfish and break my children and my wife's heart by being gone, but I would like for somebody to miss me when I'm gone. I'm telling you that the Word of God is showing us here that you can trouble your own house and inherit the wind. And He did. Quit being so mean to your wife, the way you talk to her. She's not your slave. She's not your servant. She's your helpmeet. She's what completes you. She makes you a better man. If you'll let her, if you'll let her, she'll make you a better man because she sees the weaknesses that is in you. And ladies, anything with two heads is a monster. You cannot have two heads in the same house. Your husband has a head. His name is Jesus Christ. You have a head and it is your husband. And this is where we're talking about trouble in our own house. I want to say this to our young people real quick. I'm running out of time. I sure am. Look at Proverbs 30. Turn to Proverbs 30 real quick. Are y'all still with me? Proverbs chapter 30. Look with me in verse number 11. I want to say this to you young men and young ladies that are at home. And if you are at home and you've got your feet on the table, I don't care how old you are. You should respect and respond to your parents. It's one thing I appreciate about Brother Zach. That young man loves his mother and father, and he honors them the way he behaves himself, carries himself, pays his way. Abigail, Overton, I appreciate the way she... That girl could work for Dave Ramsey. girl knows how to deal with money and save money. I'm just saying that some of these kids got some sense about them. And they don't cause trouble at the house. Their, their parents would, would weep and miss them greatly. Look in Proverbs chapter 30. You don't want to, listen, you young men, you don't want to live such a way that your parents will say, man, thank God they're gone. Now listen, if you're 40, it's time for you to go.
If you're a 40-year-old man, it's time for you to go. Proverbs chapter 30. The scripture says, look at verse 11. It said, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. You know what God's will is for you? Be a blessing to your mom and your dad. Verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. That is, you are, you're playing, you're, 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 you're living a double life. You come to church and act all sweet and innocent and yes sir, yes ma'am, yes sir, yes ma'am to all of us, but when you get home, you're a terror. Verse number 13 says, there's a generation of how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. They're vain and they're full of pride. Look in verse 14. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords, their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and needy from among men. They run their mouths and they are self-centered and it's about me and mine. That's, a, that's, an, awful, that's an awful bunch of kids right there. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what the Lord thinks about kind of kids like that. He might even send some she-bears to take care of them. They mock the things of God. The Lord doesn't see your children as angels like you do. He sees them as fallen angels sometimes. And He sees what's in their heart. You should not be the cause of trouble at your house. You ought to be able to go home today, sit around the table, enjoy yourselves without there always having to be contention at the table or in the living room or anywhere else in the house. That's a fact. Lost people were able to do that. So quit being like this. You don't have to live like this. You make some choices. Well, the cure for trouble. I need you to see this. Look at 1 Samuel 27. Now listen, God's dealing with all of us here in this movement. Look, look in 1 Samuel 27. Let me show you something else right here. Cure for trouble. I've talked to you about about common trouble. I've talked to you about created or caused trouble. And I want to talk to you about the cure for trouble. The cure for trouble. The Bible says you should seek peace and pursue it. You should seek peace and pursue it. I read you a verse this, this earlier in the service aware that uh, the Lord said that He would uh, give you what He called uh, that uh, perfect peace and that it comes from the Lord. Thou will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord. That means you are making your decisions based upon what God would say, not what Oprah would say or Dr. Phil would say, but what does the Lord say. First Samuel 27, David is on the run. Chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul and there is nothing better for me. He makes a very bad decision right here and he gets his family in trouble because he makes a bad decision. His imagination and his fears work overtime and so he begins to run and head in the direction he ought not go. And I think sometimes we as dads and moms, we, we do make some bad decisions, some fleshly decisions. But I want to tell you this morning, God is the God of second chances, third chances, sometimes fourth chances. God is for you. God wants 
to save your home. And he wants there to be some peace at your house. Don't throw it away. Don't kick it to the curb. Don't do that. There's so many ramifications upon people's and kids' lives, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Notice what he says here in uh, 1 Samuel. It says here, nothing better for me. Well, that was a lie. That's an imagination. That's a stronghold. That's a thought. And it might have been better for him, but it wasn't better for his family. So about 18 months or longer goes by, and they're in this. I don't know how much trouble and, and grief that you need to go through before you'll start seeking after God. But a lot of times, God, now listen to me, God will allow trouble to come into your life and your family for the purpose of driving you back to Him. Because He knows. He knows where the strings are attached to your heart. And He knows that if it gets serious enough that it's going to cause you to seek for some help. Now, when, when David made this decision, he did not seek any counsel at the mouth of the Lord. He just made a rash decision and a foolish decision. Time goes by. He's going back. He's been out on, out on a day's work, taking cities of the enemy, burning them to the ground, taking the enemy and their spoil. He's heading back to the house, and he sees he's got he's got six hundred men with him. They're doing it, and all their families, their wives and their children are all back at the house. He looks, they're walking, and they're seeing smoke come up. They're seeing smoke come up, and they know what kind of smoke that is. They know that's where somebody has burnt the place down and raided it. And when they get there, their wives and their children are gone. And some of their gold and silver is gone. And the Bible says in chapter number, look with me quickly, look in chapter number 30. Look in verse number Two, the Amalekites had come and raided them while David was not at the house. Verse 2 says, and had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, but either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters, they were gone. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And if there's anything that ought to drive you to tears, it ought to be the condition of your home. If if there's anything that would cause a man grief and sorrow, and, and these are hard men, but that precious wife and that son and daughter is missing and they're in trouble. And they don't even know if they're alive. And they're weeping bitterly. And if you see that your home is in trouble, it ought to cause you great concern and it ought to cause you to run to God. If your marriage is in trouble, don't be too proud to seek after God this morning. Do your children ever see you bow a knee? Do they ever hear your voice calling on the great God of heaven? Does your wife ever see you bow a knee? Does she ever hear you calling on the name of the Lord to help you and her and the children? Look in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Look with me in verse number 6. Now listen, it says, And David was greatly distressed, and the reason for that is, is because his men are talking about killing him. 
It says in verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and for his daughter. But how does David respond to this? You need to let trouble at your house in like this. You let God use that to drive you back to Him. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know what that means? It means that he got along with God. He made a choice to call upon the Lord in his distress. And he remembered some things that he had learned as he getting up closer to God. He's getting right with God personally. Now he's got to save his family. So what does he do? He seeks counsel at the mouth of the Lord. That's what he should have done earlier. Look at verse 7. And David said unto Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And this was a type of seeking counsel and a word from the Lord. You went to the priest there and you used the ephod he did. And he would ask God to answer some of those questions. And the Bible says in verse 8, And David inquired at the Lord. And he's doing that through a means that God has provided. And God's put some good godly counselors around you if you'll just reach out to them. You know, it's very humbling to go to somebody and expose yourself as far as your private life and your family life is concerned. But you know God will bless that. Humility, God blesses it. He does. Boy, He sure does. But look what He says in verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And look what happens here now. And He answered him and said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. In verse 6, David finds some peace. He has encouraged himself in the Lord. In verse 8, he finds a path to take to recover his family and a promise from God. And when you get down to verse 11 through verse number 13, he finds the providential hand of God working in his favor. While he's looking for his family, trying to find out where they are, there's a guy that fell sick the very same day he was talking to God and asking for help. God was working in his favor. And David did not even know it. They found this Egyptian by the roadside. He was sick. And he told them exactly where his family was at. David took his men, jumped them, and and took their family and everything else. And really, he wound up in better shape than when he started. And and, and I'm just telling you, when you draw nigh to God and you get right with God, and as a man, you submit yourself to the Lord and you get back in your place. And when a woman submits herself to God, and listen, the problem is we've got passive men who do not want to lead. We've got progressive women who do not want to follow and submit. We have pampered children who it's all about them. But I'm telling you, whatever's going on in that mixture that's going on in your family, there are no perfect families. Let that trouble push you to God and humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, please, please, Lord, I need some peace in my heart and I need some peace at the house. And what God will do is give you counsel to get everybody back in their place doing what they're supposed to be doing and being what they're supposed to be. And when that happens, there will be peace at the house. 
Let me show you one more verse and then let's pray. All right, would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and look with me in verse number 9. What does God want? Well, He wants peace in my heart. What else does God want? He wants peace in my home. Peace in my home. Sometimes you may have to ask somebody to leave. That happens. If they're going to be nothing but trouble. If all they're going to do is create chaos every time they show up. Sometimes you have to say, look, we love you. We want you here. We do. You're part of us. But we cannot allow you to be a merchant of misery in our home continually and upon our family. Can't do that. That's a hard decision to have to make. But look in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Look at this. Look in verse number 9. I love this. It says, live. What's the next word? Joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. That's what God wants. And He's for you. If you're a young person, if you're a young adult, I pray that you'd be a blessing to your mother and your father and you would contribute to the peace of the home. If you're a husband and a father, I pray that you would not be causing the trouble in your home lest you inherit the wind. And I pray for your dear wife. I pray that you would humble yourself before the Lord and trust Him. When you can't trust Him, trust the Lord. Because there is strength in the Lord Jehovah. There is grace to be found from Him. And He will strengthen you to help you in your time of need. Let's stand together, please. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're not going to have an invitation, but what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and I want you to pray with me. And I want you to determine in your heart as a man and as a woman and as a young man and young lady that you would be part of the solution at your house and not part of the problem. That you would yield yourself to God and pursue peace and not your own way. Would you pray with me about that right now? Father, in heaven, Lord, I know that I've I've preached what you wanted me to. You've given me liberty to do so. I love these families. I love these men. And I know, Lord, that life is not easy. Marriage is not always easy. Being a father, a provider, a protector. Being a wife, a mother. that has so many challenges. Lord, I pray that they would look to you. You said you would keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because they trust in you. Lord, I pray they would do that right now. 
and they would rearrange some things in their heart and life and do that which is right in your eyes, not in their own. They would humble themselves, apologize one to another, forgive one another as you have forgiven us. May they apply great humility to their home, not hardness, not stubbornness, and not pride. You said you would destroy the house, the house of the proud and resist them. God, I pray it would not be so with these homes. May their homes be a happy place. In Jesus' name, I ask it, and for thy name's sake, amen.